Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter number two, and if you found your place, and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter number two. So across the top of the page, you're going to look for the word Romans, and then you're going to look for big number two. Okay, that's what we call a chapter. And then you're going to find small number one, and we're going to go Romans chapter number one, or or chapter number two, verse number one, down to verse number 11. Romans chapter number one, or or, I'm I'm going to get it right in a minute. Romans chapter number two, verse number one, down to verse 11. Now this is is the Apostle Paul, and he's continuing his, his discussion on why all men deserve the wrath of God because of their unrighteousness, which is, which is what he said in, in verse, number, uh, verse number 18 of chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And so he's explaining to us how it is that we are unrighteous, why it is that we are unrighteous. So verse number two, or chapter two, verse number one. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his, the his there is God. Okay, so you could plug it, you could say it this way. Despisest thou the riches of God's goodness, and forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing not, or, or, or not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after the hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, so look here. God's judgment on all mankind will be righteous, it will be true, it will be right. That's what what he's saying. His judgment on those who do evil and wicked things, like is talked about in chapter number one, but also his judgment on those of us who don't do as bad. Right? We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. So look at verse number six. It's the the harsh truth. So who, speaking of God, so God will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who are patient, continuance, and well-doing, seeking for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, anguish, upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory and honor... And peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. That's a 
the kind of famous idea that people have about, about the Bible. Well, there's no respect of persons with God. God treats everyone the same. Now, we, that verse is saying that God's judgment, that when God judges unrighteousness, when God judges um, ungodliness, when God judges sin or evil or wrongdoing, God's judgment on those things is the same to every man. So, so what does this mean for you and me? That's what, that's what we'll, we'll unpack this morning. We'll at least attempt to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Use it in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Paul has given us the premise in verse number 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And what he is doing in chapter 1, 2, and 3 is he is attacking, look here, he is attacking the lies that we tell ourselves about why we are not as bad as we really are. So, so he's giving us, what we said was, he's giving us a picture of ourselves. So we said the study of Romans 1, 2, and 3 is a selfie from the book of Romans. He's giving us an understanding of who we are, of, of the ways we try to find righteousness through other means apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he has described in chapter number one is that we assert that there is some part of creation that is worthy of our worship or that is worthy of our praise or adoration. And that we go about worshiping these things, setting these things up as our gods, as opposed to worshiping the one true God, the creator God of the universe. And what he has described in chapter number one is essentially paganism. Right? That, that mankind is, is worshiping the creature as opposed to worshiping the creator. Instead of worshiping the invisible God of the creation of the world, we have found all these other things to worship, we're giving our worship to them instead of giving them to the true God. And because of that, they, verse number 21 of chapter number 1, that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So they understood that God created the world and God should be worshipped because He's the Creator. And yet, even though they knew this, they ran from this. They didn't want to think about it. And because of this, they worship all sorts of things. He says birds and four-footed beasts. He, uh, he even gets down to insects. Isn't that a funny idea? So we, in, instead of worshiping the invisible God of creation, we worship the sun, we worship the moon, we worship stars, we worship, we worship Mother Nature, we worship animals or, or people. We, we worship all forms of maybe even like reincarnation. We, we worship a host of other things as opposed to worshiping the one true God of the universe. And the common denominator is this. We worship things, physical and material, as opposed to worshiping the invisible God of the world. That's everything in chapter 1. So imagine, here's the illustration, imagine there is the light, and that man has gone from the light, right? And that the farther you move away from the light... We can't, I was going to do the illustration where you turn all the lights off, but you can't get these big windows right here, so it wouldn't have worked anyway. But the farther you remove from the light, the more into darkness you become. Right? And that's, that's what he says. That their foolish heart, this is chapter 1, verse 24, so wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So their foolish hearts were darkened. We already talked about this, but how that disbelief in the heart 
leads us to dishonor in the body. And we dishonor God in our bodies. Why? Why do we dishonor God in our bodies? Because essentially, we've chosen to disbelieve God in our heart. And the choice to disbelieve God in our heart leads us to dishonor in our bodies. How did we get there? Well, we removed ourselves from the light. And the farther you walk away from this light, right? You could keep on going. And the farther you go away from the light, you go more into the darkness. And you could conceivably get to a place where you are so far removed from the light that you can't see the light, the light is not beneficial to you, the light is not helpful to you, and you exist in complete darkness. And that's what Paul in chapter number one said. That's where mankind is. We have removed ourselves from the true light. That we have elevated the creation above the creator. We have we have an importance on physical things, material things, feelings over spiritual things. And when these physical, material things take importance over physical, over the spiritual things, then ultimately fulfilling your body's desires becomes the ultimate purpose in life. So how, how did we get to where we are? Because instead of worshiping God for who he is and how he's revealed himself, we chose to amplify and hold up physical, material, natural things. It's literally a form of paganism. And we chose to say, no, we ourselves are gods. We want to do what our bodies say. And we worshiped our feelings over worshiping the one true God of the universe. This is how we got into the position we are in. This is what Paul is saying. And so... Notice the, the, the shamelessness, that's the long list in the, from, from verse 24 to verse number 32. The long list that God gives them over to their dark desires. Look at verse number 32 of chapter number 1. We didn't, we didn't get this verse last week, we just touched it this, this morning. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, and not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. So, so they celebrate... The fact that there are people who practice these sort of dark behaviors. They do these, these dark and wicked and evil things. They, they celebrate it. They, they clap about it. They, they enjoy it. And in fact, they go way out of their way, the Bible says, to get other people to do the same. They take pleasure in them that do them. This is, this is why someone who is doing these sorts of things mentioned in Romans chapter 1 is always trying to pull someone else in. You're always trying to find that justification and rationalization. Celebrating and applauding the idea of, a, yeah, you can do that. Be your own God. Call your own shots. Worship your own feelings. You serve your own body. As opposed to serving the one true God of the universe. So as Paul goes down, and we won't rehash the list, but as Paul goes down the list there in Romans chapter number one, you can, you can sense it, can't you? Paul is saying, this is paganism. These are what pagan people do. They've gone away from the light. They've lived in the darkness, and they're given over completely to the darkness, elevating their own physical, spiritual, or, or their own physical material and, and feelings to, to the point of being God. They serve themselves as opposed to serving God. And you can sense, look here, you can sense all of the moral people sitting back and going, yep, you tell them, Paul. Those people are so bad. And they do such bad things. So that's, that's chapter 2. 
You say, wait, wait, well, let's, let's get back to talking about the really bad people, Pastor. That's who we want to talk about, right? But notice, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. So we should not think that simply because we have a sense of disapproval of sin in someone else's life, that we ourselves are removed from any sort of guilt over our own sin. This is the, this is the weight of the gospel. Look at verse number 16 of chapter number 2. That in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. This is the weight of the gospel. The weight of the gospel is that God is judging all men for all things, whether known or unknown. Verse number 16 ought to scare us. Because not only does God judge the evil, dark, pagan behaviors of wicked and evil people, but God judges the secrets of our own hearts. This means that you, you, we cannot feel the seriousness. We, we cannot feel the, the blessedness. We can't feel the, the happiness of the gospel until we feel the weight that there is a future judgment where all of us, you, me, everyone will stand in front of God by themselves and be judged in front of a holy God. The gospel is glorious. Why? Not because it deals with our depression. Not because it deals with our illnesses. Not simply because it gives us hope. The gospel is glorious because it removes the wrath of God from our lives. That's why. Because you and I are sinful men who sin outwardly, but also sin inwardly. And this sin is worthy of death. And the wrath of God is being poured out on all sinful men everywhere. And the gospel is glorious because the gospel of Jesus Christ says there is a judgment coming where I will judge everything about you, even those deep, dark secrets that you haven't even shared with the person next to you. And I will judge that and I will hold you accountable in that day. And the gospel is good news because we go, shoo! Because in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's why. So, so here, we, here we go. So you get an outline. I want you to follow along. Notice this. We are judged for the same sin. Look at verse number one. Look at the very end of the verse. Because thou, com thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Because thou condemnest thyself, but even when you condemn someone else, when you judge someone else, you are guilty of doing the very same things. And so he says, because of this, you are inexcusable. So Paul says that as we judge other people, when we condemn other people, Paul is saying, who, who are you kidding? When we judge someone else, we're deciding that this other person that we're judging is, is wrong and, and, and is doing wrong and is 
acting wrong. And when we do so, we are saying that their wrongness, their unrighteousness, their evilness, that that is worthy of some sort of penalty. But when you make that judgment, when you make a determination, this guy is a bad guy and he deserves a penalty. When you make that assessment, Paul is saying, when you make that judgment, then you reveal, you, you show the truth that there is a judgment. And this is ultimately the question. Okay, so bad people have bad things coming to them. And they should be judged for the wrong that they do. But when you say that, and when you mean that, and when you believe that, what you are attesting to is that there is some sort of moral rightness. There is some sort of moral standard. There is some sort of righteousness that everybody should be held to. Okay, so let me, let me, let me illustrate it this way. Come here, Derek. I'm going to use Derek. He's a great, wonderful, sinful person that I can use as an example. So Derek is this pagan who, man, he understood the light, saw the light, and went away from the light and now lives in darkness. Derek is a pagan person, okay? Very, very pagan. How many of you agree? Just, just making sure. Jillian, isn't that what you wanted me to say about him? Yeah, okay, okay wonderful. And so then here, here's what the moral. So Paul is going this big thing. Pagan people are going to be judged by God. People who do evil, wicked things found in Romans chapter 1, they're going to be judged by God. And then the moral person is sitting back going, that's right. You're going to get judged by God. And Paul is saying, and in saying that, in, in attesting to that judgment, in, in looking at Derek, who is a pagan person, and going, oh, you've done bad stuff, what you are, what you are saying is true is that there is some sort of righteousness that Derek is being held to. There is some sort of righteousness. There's some sort of, of good works. There's some sort of value. There's some sort of, of, of evil that Derek has done. And there's some sort of goodness that Derek hasn't done. And because of that, Derek is pagan and he deserves this penalty on his life. But notice, in acknowledging this, what we are accusing Derek of doing, Paul says we've done the same things. That's the very end of the verse. Look at the verse. Doest the same thing. So you're looking at Derek and you're saying, Derek, you've done evil things. But we have done evil things too. That's what he's saying. So, so even though, yes, pagan people get the judgment of God. Here it is. Even moral people will experience the judgment of God. You see, Bad pagan people who do evil, wicked things like mass murderers and genocide and awful, atrocious deeds and, and abuse and, and, and negligence and all kinds of terrible, even physical things and given over to all sorts of perversions, man, they will experience the judgment of God. And the moral person is listening to Paul and he's going, that's right. I know, I know people who do really bad stuff. So he gets the judgment of God, but I don't because I'm better than him. And Paul says, oh no, you've messed up. Because in recognizing that Derek receives the judgment of God, what you recognize and what you're recognizing is that there is a judgment from God. And you and I are guilty of doing the same exact things. Now, now look, look, look at the verse. If you go verse number 29 of chapter number 1, if you go verse number 29 all the way down to verse number 31, and you read that list of things, Greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, arrogance, boastfulness, 
faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness. You go down this long list. And if you look carefully, almost all of the things in the list are not some sort of external behavior. Almost all of the things in the list are a heart attitude. Well, what is greed except the, 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 the covetousness of the heart? You know, what, is, what is gossip except the slander of someone else in the heart? It, it's almost all some sort of inner attitude. It's almost all some sort of inner, inner thing. So not, not all of us have killed a person like Derek has done. We've not all killed a person, but we've all wished someone to be dead. We've not all stolen something like Derek has done. But, but we've all looked at something that someone else had and wanted it for ourselves. And in, that and in, in doing that, while we might not have violated the law overtly, while we, not, while we might not have violated the law publicly, while we might not have violated the law in hand or deed or action, we have violated the law where? In the secret part of our heart. In the, in the hidden part of our heart, inside of our own mind. Man, I looked at that person, I thought, oh, I just wish, I just wish she'd get what she's got coming to her because, oh, she just really gets on my nerves. <laughs> and if you just, you just give me five minutes with her, just, whoosh, whoosh, yeah, right? And in doing so, and in doing so, we violated the law. Look, look, and in doing so, we've done the very same thing. That's what he says. That's why he says in verse number 16, the secrets of men. God judges us according to what? According to the secrets of men. Those, those things that went on inside of our own hearts. Derek is a terrible person because he actually did that with his hand. But I'm not as bad as Derek because I didn't do it with my hands. I just simply did it in my heart. And Derek is an awful person because he's done horrific, evil things. He, he's done all these awful things. He was, he was unfaithful to his wife and committed adultery, but I have not committed adultery. I don't have that long list, but there's lust that exists in the heart. And so in that sense, Paul is saying, when you say about Derek, he's broken the, the law and he's worthy of condemnation and judgment, then what you're attesting to is that there is condemnation and judgment. There is a standard of righteousness and we have broken that standard of righteousness just the same. Does that make sense? So here's what we do in order to justify how I'm better than Derek and I'm not going to get as bad of a treatment as Derek is getting. You always have to find someone who's farther away from the truth than you are. You always have to find someone who's farther away from the light than us. And watch, watch. This is, this is, this is, this is what we do. This is, what Paul is, this is what Paul is addressing in Romans 2. What we, what we do is pagan people are so far away from the dark, they kill people, they do evil, awful, wicked things. And so righteousness then becomes a moving point. Righteousness becomes this scale as opposed to being a fixed point. Righteousness becomes, Derek is being judged because he's wicked and not righteous. 
Righteousness becomes this, this shifting sand. And it always has to be because some days I have really bad days and I'm closer to Derek than farther away. And some days I have really good days and I'm farther away from Derek than I am closer. But righteousness becomes this moving, this moving scale as opposed to a fixed point. For wherein thou judgest, look at the word, another. So you always have to find someone else who's done worse than you have done in order to justify why you are okay and they are not. This is quite literally what the moralist does. The moralist finds assurance in knowing that there is somebody out there in the world that's worse than they are. There's someone out there who's done more wicked things than I have done, so because he's done worse, I am safe. That's their idea. Because he's way over there in bad stuff, and I'm not doing nearly any of that. So, so maybe I've been convicted of cheating on my taxes, but, but I've not defrauded millions of people like those evil men at Enron, so I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I cheated on my wife, but I didn't have any sexual relationship with a man, so I'm okay. Maybe I killed someone, but I didn't kill six million someones, so I'm okay. Right? This, this is what happens. What, what we find is we find all kinds of evil people who we hold as that person is definitely going to get the standard. We, we find the Hitlers of the world and we hold them up as the epitome of evil and judgment because Hitlers deserve judgment. And Derek is Hitler and he's killed six million people. as an awful individual. And I only killed one person. So I'm okay. You see, you see how that's always shifting? You see how it's always moving? It's always, it's always adjusting. Why? Because we're always trying to judge another. But in judging another, we condemn ourselves. Why? Because by judging someone else, we are admitting that there is some, there is some measure of righteousness. What is the measure of righteousness? The measure of righteousness is God himself. That's the measure of righteousness. That's number two, the same truth. So that's what he says in verse number two. He says, but are we sure? Isn't that an interesting phrase? But are we sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things? Okay, so look. You, what, the moralist, what the moralist person thinks is he thinks, I deserve to get into heaven and into, into eternal life and eternal joy why? Because I haven't done as bad of things as Hitler has done, as Derek has done. And since I haven't done as bad as things as he has done, then I must be granted heaven. But notice the verse, but we are sure that God judges us according to truth. According to truth, which, 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 which doesn't move. It isn't adjustable. Truth is not a scale. Truth is a fixed point. God judges us according to truth. Okay, so if you say, I'm better than Derek, and so I get into heaven because Derek is worse than I am. But, but let's think about this. Do you think that Derek is a liar? Well, sure. All men are liars. But isn't it true that you've told a lie? So we're, we're closer to Derek than we think we are. Do, do you think that, that Derek has ever had a hateful thought about someone? Well, sure. 
Have you ever had a hateful thought about someone? So you're closer to Derek than you think you are. You think Derek has ever coveted or stolen something? Taking something that wasn't his? Well, yeah. Haven't you ever coveted? Taking something that wasn't yours? So you're closer to Derek than you think you are. You think, it's, you think Derek's ever gossiped about someone? Talked bad about them? Derek? Well, sure he has. Isn't it true that you've done that too? So you're closer to Derek than you think you are. You see, we're actually, we're actually far closer to the evil, pagan, wicked people than we think we are. And we're actually farther away from the truth than we think ourselves to be. Well, okay, Pastor, but Derek has killed people before. He's a murderer. Okay, so I have one thing not in common with Derek. I haven't murdered someone. So do you think God lets me into heaven because I have one difference with Derek, but I have so many violations from him? You see, and that's exactly what moralism is. I'm just one step removed from the worst person that I can find. I'm just this close. And yet being this close, I'm warranted heaven, and he's warranted eternal wrath and punishment. And Paul is saying, this is not the way it works. Look at verse number two again. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. It's according to truth. That you can share every manner of sin with someone and just because you can find one difference does not justify some sort of superiority. It's not war in heaven because you're one step removed from the worst person that you can possibly think of. And we are sure that God judges according to truth. Look at verse number three. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same. Okay, so that's all one thought. So he's talking to this guy right here. So thinkest thou this, O man, who judges Derek, but you do the same things Derek does. Thinkest this? In the very last verse, that's, that's kind of the new insight. The very end of the verse is that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. So, so if Derek, who does really bad things, gets the judgment of God, and I'm this close to Derek, do you think I escape the judgment of God? And, and, and wouldn't it also be true that there is someone who's one step in front of me? And so what keeps him from thinking that the judgment of God stops with him? And then I get it. And wouldn't it be true that there's someone one step in front of him? And someone one step in front of him? And someone one step in front of him? And so what point is the judgment of God actually coming? That's what I mean. Righteousness then is on a scale for the moralist. It's always moving. It's not a fixed point. No, no. If you violate the law of God in one place, you violated the law of God in all the places. If you live in darkness, you're in darkness. You cannot say, well, I have the light, but walk in darkness. No, if you say that you have the light, but walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth, John says. You, you can't say that the judgment of God stops, stops, it stops here. Because everyone assumes, look, everyone assumes the judgment of God stops right where they are. 
And we got, this is a great day in church. We learned Derek has done a lot of bad stuff. How many of you are going to pray for Derek more now that you know how awful he is? Thank you, Derek. God's judgment will be according to truth. What is the truth that God's judgment will be based on? You want to know what it is? Here it is. Ready? It's not what the church says. It's not what the pastor says. It's not what the most righteous person, it's not what the best Christian you know. It's not them. The judgment of God according to the truth will be based on God himself. Because God is the creator of all things in this earth, and because God is the giver of the law, because God is creator and giver of law, God himself is the standard by which all of us will be judged. So this is, this is in one way good news and in one way really, really bad news. It's in good news because you are not judged according to me. It's really bad news because of this. Because you are judged according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we do not need to go around comparing ourselves among ourselves. That's, that's not wise. That's actually foolish. No, no, no. There is one perfect standard of righteousness, and that perfect standard of righteousness is God himself. It is a fixed point, and it does not move. It doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what country, it doesn't matter what place, it doesn't matter what language, it doesn't matter what year, it doesn't matter who the president is, it doesn't matter who the king or queen is, it does not matter. There is a fixed point of righteousness, and that fixed point of righteousness is God himself. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is the light. Not, not, not you, not me, not the church, not righteous, holy people. Although we ought to strive to do all those things, it is God himself who is the fixed point of righteousness. And so you ask, well, then how do we get away from the judgment? We'll, we'll look at verse number four. Or despisest. The, the word despise, it means um, to treat lightly, to disrespect, uh, to hold in contempt, or despises, to look down on, or despises thou the riches of his, that's God, so despises thou the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. So this is the basic attitude of people today. They believe that God is harsh. They believe that God is angry, that God is mad at the world. So people use this justification by looking at cataclysmic events in our day. They look at a medical diagnosis. And they assume that because things aren't going the way they wanted them to go, that God must be harsh or merciless. But nothing could be further from the, from the truth. First John, God is love. John chapter 3, verse number 16, maybe the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world. In fact, the Bible says that God loves us so much that he holds back his anger and his wrath and he grants us blessing where blessing is not warranted. He grants us grace. And God does this in hopes that we would turn to him, that we would believe on him, and that we would follow him. That's, that's what the rest of the verse says. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So God has been good to us in hopes that we would turn to him, we would see him for who he is, 
and we would believe on him and respond to him in faith, that we would trust him. And so we need, we need God's goodness, we need God's patience, we need God's forbearance, that's, that's long-suffering. We need these things. Why? Because we are sinful men. The wages of sin is death. So sin should and does and is producing death in our lives and in our world. The reason why there are cataclysmic events, the reason why there's suffering, the reason why there are earthquakes and tsunamis, the reason why there's brokenness in our world is because of sin. That's why. Sin broke the world. And God, in His love, and in His patience, and in His forbearance, and in His goodness, is holding back the consequences of sin in this life. And yet notice, this moral person, the, the moralist, they do not see the goodness of God in their life as God holding back these things from happening so that they will turn to God. They see God holding back goodness, and they think that they deserve it. And so the moralist reasons like this. Well, life is going the way I want, so I must be okay with God. Things are not going terrible in my life right now, so God must approve of the things I'm doing in my life right now. This is how they reason. This is what they think. This is quite literally despising the goodness of God. No, 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 notice this. Look at verse 5. But after thy hardness and impotent heart, you treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, look here. He does not say what we expect him to say. Here's what we expect him to say. God is storing up all kinds of wrath. He's just waiting for us to just step out of line, and then he's going to get us with wrath. And he's going to pick up a lightning bolt and he's going to strike us with it. He's going to throw leprosy down and we're going to be under the wrath and judgment of God. No, no, that's, the verse does not say that God is storing up wrath for himself, for us. Look at the verse. Who is storing up the wrath? Thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest or stores up unto thyself. Okay, so your own reasoning for why I must be okay and he must not be, you are storing it up for yourself. Until what? Until the day of wrath. And then in that day of wrath, God will be revealed as being completely just and completely righteous in the judgment that he pours out on us. It, it is a way of saying that if you are too good for Jesus... If you are too good for mercy, if you are too good for love, if you are too good for kindness, then you are experiencing God's judgment and wrath in your life right now, storing it up, hoarding it up for yourself. And it's coming out in all kinds of ways. It's coming out in grumbling and gossiping and fault finding and, and self-righteousness and, and being so touchy or, or sensitive about different areas of your life. Your heart can't stop blaming itself. And so you're turning all of this to, to other people. You're expressing it in all kinds of ways. Why? Because you are despising the goodness of God in your life. That's ultimately why. 
despising the good way that God is holding back. Look, look, look. God's delay of judgment is not God's endorsement on your life. God's delay of judgment is not God's endorsement on your choices. God's delay of judgment is not God's endorsement on your lifestyle. God's delay in judgment is not God's endorsement on you giving yourself over to all sorts of sexual perversion. God's delay in judgment is not God's endorsement. God's delay in judgment is God showing you goodness and love and mercy and kindness. For what end? In the end of hoping that you will see God for being good and loving and kind and that you will respond to that God so that you will miss the day of wrath. That's why. So that you can skip the judgment. That's what he's saying. And notice this. We have the same wrath. That's verse 5. We have the, we have the same end. We have the same end. Look at, look at verse number if it starts in verse number uh, five, or it starts in verse number six, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, if you want to understand these two verses, Paul's talking to two different people. He's talking to the believer in verse number seven and verse number 10, and he's talking to the unbeliever in verse number eight and in verse number nine. So he bookends the judgment. He says, believer. Then he talks two verses to the unbeliever, and then one verse again to the believer. So the two verses to the believer. All men will stand in judgment in front of God. Believer and unbeliever like. There's one judgment for the unbeliever and there's one judgment for the believer. God is not contradicting himself in other places. There is a judgment for the believer. That judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, God will render or reward or assign. God will give to every man at that judgment according to our service to God. That's what he says, verse number 7. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, what does God give them? Eternal life. Look at verse number 10. But glory and honor and peace. To who? To every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So God will assign at the judgment seat of Christ, God rewards all believers for the things that they've done in this life. That's a scary thought. God also has a judgment for unbelievers. The great white throne judgment. The unbelievers' judgment is verse number 8, verse number 9. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth. So there's the separation. To those who have not obeyed the truth, they've gone out into darkness. They're, they're, they're their own God. They're, they're, their feelings are their gods. To those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, what comes to them? Indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, notice, to the Jew first and also the Gentile. So Paul is actually, in these verses, he's quoting King Solomon from the book of Proverbs. And here's what he's saying. Think about this. Every idle word you've ever said, you will be held accountable to. Every idle thought you've ever had, you will be held accountable for. Every secret hidden thing in your mind or heart, you will be held accountable for. You, me, and the world alike. Every deed committed and every deed omitted you will be held accountable to, for. 
in front of God. Examine yourselves with this text. It teaches us that after death there is eternal life and glory and honor and peace. And after death there is eternal wrath and indignation and tribulation and distress. And in the twinkling of an eye, you could be irreversibly in one or the other. So hear me on this. You do not have to be afraid of the judgment. Why? Why, we, why do we not have to be afraid of the judgment? Because God has given us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. And God gave Jesus to those of us who are sinners so that anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Which is a way to say, anyone who believes on Jesus Christ, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, will not go to hell, but have eternal life. As Jesus says in John 8, verse number 12, and Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and any man that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is being very clear about this. That those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works, will miss that eternal wrath. Because God is a good God who's loving and patient and kind and forbearing and has shown His love to us. He commended His love for us in that He died on the cross in our place by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with God there is no respect of persons. That we should not think that simply because we are better than Derek that we're good with God. No, because compared to Derek, you and I may be good. But compared to God, you and I are sinful men. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, why do we not have to be afraid of the judgment? Because we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we've been saved. That's why. My plea to you this morning is stop hoping that you'll get into heaven simply because you're better than Hitler. But put your faith and trust in Jesus alone and realize that Jesus lived the life that you and I and no one else could have ever lived except Him. And He gave up that life on the cross for you and for me. And that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and his resurrection, you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. That is how loving God is. But also remember this. That we will stand in judgment for how we lived our lives. How you invested your time, how you used your money, what you did with your talent the ways you used your sexuality, the things you did for God, the things you didn't do for God. How you used or saw all the good things that God gave you. 
Things like warm water. That's God's goodness to you. Life, breath in your lungs today is a common grace that God has given to all of us, that God has extended to you and to me. And yet we are so self-centered that we think it's actually about ourselves. The fact that we're even here is a testament to how good God is to us. So see the good things God is doing in your life and praise and worship and serve God because he is a good and worshipful and praiseworthy God who deserves all the praise from all the languages and all the people and all the time and will in the end get that. And live your life in light of eternity. And I quite literally mean in light of eternity. Only one life, so soon it will pass. And only what's done for Christ will last.